Hey, thanks for joining us. My name is George Hinman. I wanna uh, give you a greeting, all the, everybody who's out there. I know that some of you are listening uh, through podcast, radio, watching on TV, watching on your phone. Some of you are working out. Some of you are driving, cooking. Uh, some are in um, Kenmore. Some are in Kenya. Some are in Japan. Some are, uh, it's all over the place. And you're taking your time to join us, and it means a lot. So thank you so much for, for doing that. This has been a difficult week this past week, but what a week to remember that Jesus is a healer, huh? Uh, the good news, and I just want to encourage you today that although our wounds may get out of hand, they'll never get out of the wounded hands of our great physician. We are stunned by the news last week. Um, we feel the wound in the world. We, we feel the dis-ease between the politics and the pandemic. Um, as followers of Jesus, we stand against a violence lawlessness, untruth, anti-black racism, just against it, and just to see all that kind of break open and realize how fragile our democratic union is, it's just painful. We're reeling, sort of stunned by it, um, saddened by it. And yet, the interesting thing for me is that I planned this series months ago to be in Luke chapter four, the, the second half of, of the book, for five weeks to reflect on what it means that Jesus is the great physician. And in this text, there is an angry mob that breaks out, overruns Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, and yet he reveals himself. This is God introducing himself at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry as a physician, as the world's healer. And I just got like, I don't believe in accidents anymore. Uh, God has a word for us today. Physician, heal thyself. That's what some people will say. And we just heard that in the text that Aaron read for us. But Jesus says, he says, I'm the creator inside the chaos of creation to bring healing to all. So let's reflect a little bit on this healing that Jesus introduces at the beginning of his ministry. Let's note it's a holistic healing. It's holistic you can hear that in the Isaiah text. He, he comes to uh, the synagogue, very familiar place. He grew up in this town. He's been in the synagogue a lot. The, um, they see him as a guest now because of his growing notoriety. Hand him a scroll. It's the Isaiah scroll. He finds the spot that he wants to read. And he reads from Isaiah 61, this promise of divine healing. And he says, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in me. Now, his healing is a holistic healing. You get that from the, from the description in Isaiah 61. He, he's unlike any of the ancient physicians who don't, don't just come with physical healing for bodies, don't just come with spiritual healing for souls. He comes for the whole person, physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. It's a holistic healing. But not just for the individual or the personal. He comes for the whole world. Listen again to the words that he read in that moment from the scroll. Um, this is Luke chapter four, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Oh my goodness, that is a comprehensive, global, glorious, holistic healing. 
He's coming for the whole world. Now, this is a promise that the Lord gave Israel through Isaiah the prophet in the eighth century, eight centuries before Jesus came and read this scroll. It was a moment of national crisis for them. Um, they were gonna be taken off into exile into Babylon. Just, you can't imagine the devastation, the chaos of that moment in exile. And God says, I'm gonna send a, a healer. I'm coming myself as a healer someday. Not with a nationalistic healing but with a global healing for all people. It's a beautiful story that will take in the whole world ultimately. And this part of Isaiah, you know, Isaiah 40 through 65, we meet a character called the suffering servant. Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one that Isaiah is talking about. I'm the suffering servant. We read about how he works this great miracle of transformational healing in Isaiah 53, for example, where Isaiah writes, he will bear our infirmities and carry our diseases. Isaiah tells us he will be wounded for our transgressions, uh, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him will be laid the punishment that makes us whole. By his bruises, we will be healed. What a beautiful picture of holistic healing. Now, what is Jesus teaching us? Uh, What is he teaching them in Nazareth as he reads this scroll on the Sabbath? I think it's this, that you need to know what story you're in. You need to know what story you're in. And I just, as I was reflecting on that this week in the midst of this trauma, for me, it was a little bit like 9-11. I don't know if you felt that way. I was in Boston on 9-11 and just felt so disorienting. And um, in that moment, what helped was finding myself in the right story. You know, are we now in the story that, that we hear on CNN, Fox News, PBS NewsHour, or uh, that kind of news, or are we in the story that Jesus is telling, the, the, the good news, uh, the gospel story? Are, who are the protagonists of this story, the, the main characters? Is it me, is it them, the other people, or is it the great physician, Jesus? reframing, recontextualizing our moment in the right narrative is so important. That's where the meaning comes. And as followers of Jesus, we have a better story. God has entered into the world to heal it, and it's happening. We're part of that. Physician, heal thyself. That's what some will say, Jesus tells us. But I say, why say that? Why trot out that old tired proverb physician heal thyself as though that were the only way to find healing as though that were any way at all to find healing no he wants us to look to him and a holistic healing secondly each of us must come to him as a patient now the people in Nazareth they're not interested in coming to Jesus as a patient we pick uh, we, we pick this up I mean this as he reads this scroll and comments on it, they're gonna break out in a mob, as I say, and we'll look at this a little bit more next week, but there's a resistance to a physician. They hear what the text tells us in verse 22 are words of grace. In 22, our text, it's, it's translated gracious words, but literally, Luke just says, words of grace, Jesus has, and they're astonished, even perhaps they take offense at this grace. Are you suggesting we need a physician, Jesus? Are you, are you saying there's something wrong with us? 
This is hard to admit. We're your people. If, if you're a good guy, it's because we made you that way. Remember, we raised you, you snotty-nosed little kid. We knew you then, and we know you now. You're a son of Joseph. We're good people. We're Bible readers. We're the ones who just handed you the scroll. We're here in the synagogue. We're church members and attenders. Are you suggesting we need a physician? They don't want that. And I kind of understand that. I, I, honestly, I don't want to go to the doctor either. I, I look for excuses not to go to the doctor. No offense intended. No disrespect intended. But why? Why? Well, my dignity, I suppose, is part of it. I don't love to have somebody um, looking up my nose. I don't love taking off my shirt, the poking and the prodding. My sense of control. Um, I like to feel that I'm master of my own ship, and when I'm in the doctor's office, it's sit here, stand there, walk this way, turn that way, cough, this control. And then security. Uh, I like to maintain the, the um, illusion, perhaps, that I am secure. And I think if I go to the doctor my age, maybe I'll hear something. Maybe she'll say something to me that indicates I have a problem that I can't fix and that there's real trouble in my life. So for all those reasons, I would rather not have a physician too close by. And I think in Nazareth, they're feeling the same thing. Each of us must come to him, though, as a patient. That's required. And we resist that. There are two, and I think the reason for that is there are two fundamental types of spirituality. There's, there's really a heal thyself spirituality and there's a heal me spirituality. And let's sit at the feet of Jesus for a moment, just understand this difference. Heal thyself spirituality assumes that there's something you can do to make yourself whole, that you're the one who heals yourself, your actions, your attitudes, your postures, your practices, that you can actually heal yourself. Now, I would say there are two versions of this in our culture today. There's a soft version and a hard version. I think it's probably true, it's always been true. The soft version is one that comes with a lot of affirmation. Soft version of heal thyself spirituality says, you've got this, you're awesome, you can be anything you wanna be. And the assumption here is that if we can just get past some of the negativity in life, then and kind of clear out all the mm, radiation, the disturbance, interference that would keep us from just being the good people that we are and in healing ourselves and making better decisions. Soft version. The hard version of heal thyself spirituality comes not with a lot of affirmation, but with a lot of judgment, right? Criticism. You're ignorant, something wrong with you. You've got to understand the way the world works and stop being a bad agent inside of that. And here the assumption is that uh, if you could see things clearly, if you could see what's wrong with you, then maybe you'd feel bad enough about it to have the proper motivation to start doing better things and acting better. It's a hard version of heal thyself, spirituality. But either way, soft or hard, this is what the Bible calls self-righteousness. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as self-righteous because we associate it with religious people or hypocrisy. But really, self-righteous simply means the original term is built on the word for justification or justice, to justify yourself or to make yourself right or to make yourself right, to stand in the right that's what it means, what self-righteousness is. And we all do it. There's a religious version of that and there's a, there's a secular version of that as well. Um, but 
we do it because we want to maintain a sense of our own dignity. We want to maintain control of our lives. And we want to think that we're the agent who keeps ourselves secure because we trust ourselves. So let's heal thyself spirituality. But Jesus has a different approach. We could call this heal me spirituality. Notice he comes with words of grace. Grace is what God does for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Grace. Grace is what God does for us that we don't deserve. Grace. And we see this in Jesus. This heal me spirituality. Notice how he approaches people. He doesn't approach them with, with fluffy, vapid words of affirmation. He doesn't approach them with criticism or judgment. He doesn't whitewash evil. Uh, he, he doesn't even paper over the places in which we're complicit with that evil. He comes with the unsentimental sensitivity and skill with which a doctor comes. And people seem to notice that about him. People respond to that. When you think about the people that were drawn to Jesus, you see they're people who come with their sickness. The people who really attract, he's swarmed by people who are ill, just crowds of people. This is what made him famous. It wasn't so much his teaching, it was his healing. He had this reputation as a healer. He miraculously healed people. So people come, um, lepers and paralytics and people with blindness and people with demon possession. And, and in fact, Jesus would say, this is why I came. We read in Luke chapter five, this is the very next chapter, verse 31. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As a case, you know, I had to kind of, when you came to Jesus, you had to decide, how am I coming to him? As the righteous, looking for kind of validation and endorsement of my views and attitudes. Yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm on your team. Count on me. We're one of the good people. Let's do this together. Or you come, not bringing your own righteousness, but bringing your sickness. Uh, those who are sick, who need a physician, coming as a patient. Each of us must come to him that way as a patient. Physician, heal thyself. That's what some would say, Jesus say. But what do my wounds say to you, he says, but that I know you're hurt. I know you're hurt and you can trust me with it. That's what his wounds say. And so we see he comes with a holistic healing that each of us must come to him as a patient but next, let's see that the cross is the cure. The cross of Jesus. I mean, this is the most surprising, tragic, but mysteriously beautiful thing of the whole gospel story and the good news that Jesus comes to bring. That the cross heals us. It's a cure. Probably the most famous physician of all time, or one of them, is a man named Hippocrates who lived in the fourth century BC in Greece. And maybe you've heard of the Hippocratic Oath, which was written by Hippocrates. But he wrote something else. He says, A physician is someone who, quote, sees terrible sights, touches unpleasant things, and the misfortunes of others bring a harvest of sorrows that are peculiarly his. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine truer words to describe how God has come into the world in Jesus Christ as, as a physician, just like this. He sees terrible sights. He touches unpleasant things. And the misfortune of others bring a harvest of sorrows that are peculiarly his. 
He comes into the chaos. He embraces the chaos. He makes the, our troubles his troubles. And here Luke is speaking of the cross. Luke understands that. L- Luke, remember, he's a physician, an ancient physician himself. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 4.14 refers to Luke as the beloved physician. And so he tells his story of Jesus, not a story of a God who stands distant, judgmental, looks, but as a God who enters into our pain, who touches the unpleasant thing, who owns our trouble as his very own. And this is the cross. It's like uh, Luke kind of book ends his account of Jesus's ministry with this physician heal thyself thing at the beginning when Jesus inaugurates his public ministry and at the end, the cross. Because at the end of the story in, in chapter 23, you can look there, we see these words coming back again at Jesus. This time they're actually spoken. Luke tells us that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. These are his patients. And I think these two thieves are there to remind us that we have a choice. That right in the center uh, between us, right in the center of history, right in the center of the world, there are these wounded hands bearing a harvest of sorrows to heal the world, and we have a reaction to make. And it's not just deciding what story we're in, it's deciding how we'll react to Jesus, whether we'll come to him as a patient and receive from him the healing cure of the cross. The first thief on one side says to Jesus, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And there it is. There are the words that Jesus said, someday you'll speak to me. Essentially, he says, physician, heal thyself. The word for salvation is the same word for healing in the Bible. It means healing. Save yourself. Heal yourself. There it is. But Jesus isn't gonna do it, and you know that. And the reason Jesus isn't gonna do that is because it's the one thing he can't do if he's also going to save us, and that's why he's come, to bring healing to the world. You see, the Bible tells us that all of us are under a curse. The whole earth, all of creation is under a curse. For example, in Jeremiah 17, verse five, it says, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals whose heart turns away from the Lord. Perfect description of me. My heart turns away from the Lord all the time. And that's just human nature. That's, that's, I take it it's true of you as well. We're, our hearts turn away from the Lord and because he's the source of life. When we do it, it moves us into death. There's a curse over all humanity right now. But the Bible also tells us in Galatians 3.13, for example, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Speaking of the cross there, quoting Deuteronomy, hangs on a tree, that Jesus is hanging in the center. The man in the middle is hanging on a piece of wood to absorb the curse that you and I deserve as those whose hearts turn away constantly. And so we have the other thief on the other side who he kind of chastises the first guy. He leans around, he goes, hey, You know, don't say that to Jesus. Why are you saying that? Don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. We're under the same sentence of condemnation, he says. But this man has done nothing wrong. I mean, this man, he's here by choice. This man has no curse. This man is under no sentence of condemnation that he deserves. If he is under a sentence of condemnation, it's for us. He's suggesting that. I don't know how, I don't know how he understood that. But out of, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, there's a moment where this second thief says, I think I get it. 
He turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And there it is, heal me. He says, heal me. He owns it. He owns his need. He owns his brokenness. He owns the chaos of his life. But he also embraces the wounded hands of the one who embrace, embraces him at the cross. And what does Jesus say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, cured, cured. Not because he did anything, not because he impressed Jesus with his obedience, not because he brought his righteousness, not because he claimed to be a good person. He's hanging on a cross. He's a criminal or a thief. The actual word is evildoer. There he is. But today, you will be with me in paradise. Karl Barth says, this is the first Christian assembly. These are the people that Jesus wants to be with. These are his patients, we would say. This is a house call. He's finally come home all the way to the depths of the brokenness of the world to embrace us with his wounded hands. And so this is our choice. You know, so many of us misunderstand what it means to be a Christian. We think being a Christian means getting our lives together, focusing on what we've done. That's not the case. Being a Christian means coming to the end of ourselves, realizing we can't get our lives together and placing our trust in what Jesus has done. A Christian is not someone who says to God, look what I've done. But a Christian is someone who comes to God and says, look what Christ has done. We don't point to our infected righteousness. It's under a curse, even at its best. We point to Jesus's perfect righteousness, which is given on the cross for sinners like me and you. Physician, heal thyself. That's what some say, Jesus tells us. But we'll come to him, you and I, and we'll say, physician, heal me. Heal me. Oh, his healing is a holistic healing. Oh, his healing is good for all who come to him as a patient. And the cross is the cure. Finally, let's notice, those who owe their lives to this great physician become healers themselves. Brothers and sisters, if you're like me, you watched the news last week and you thought, oh my gosh, this is gonna make history. We're in a historic moment. But let me tell you, here's the opportunity for those of us who are followers of Jesus. It's not to point fingers at other people and tell them you should be as good as we are. It's to focus on ourselves and it's to come before this great physician as a healer and recognize it's not that the world has a problem, it's that I have a problem. To know that the church of Jesus Christ would come to the great physician in this way and to seek healing first for ourselves the world could see that there is healing for sinners. I know that many of us are sitting across from tables where the conversation has been strained by divisions and divides and disagreements and maybe last week made it worse for you, I, I don't know. But here's what I think would change things. If instead of focusing on the other, we could just focus on ourselves for a little bit. We could pray for healing for ourselves and for our relationships and for our country and do the work of healing Follow the prescription of our great physician. See, it's good news. Now, let's be honest. Good news makes us uncomfortable. This doctor is going to tell the truth about our condition. He's gonna say, you know what? The poor, the captives, and the blind, 
They could be helped if you were more helpful. You might even be a part of the problem. He's gonna tell us the truth about our condition, that our sin makes us in ways complicit with the powers of darkness in the world. And that's uncomfortable. But look, a clear, honest diagnosis is necessary for a complete cure. It's uncomfortable, but good news is also transformational. At the cross, we meet a physician who removes our curse, who gives us a new righteousness, who binds us to himself, his dying and his rising, and forms a new beloved community. He says, you're my children, a new family, you're, you're in my beloved community. Not perfect, not flawless, but forgiven and participating in his redemptive work. We're in a community that's empowered by his healing and his healing flows through us into the lives of others if we genuinely experience it for ourselves. Where we do damage is when we go into the world to try to do acts of healing in the world before there's been healing in our lives. The good physician, the great physician does that. So where do you and I find the healing that we need? In the wounded hands of our savior Jesus, the great physician. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you haven't joined the second thief on the cross and, and me and others here at UPC that have come to Jesus acknowledging we're sinners and, 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 and that we're sinful and that we're sick in our souls and in need of a physician, I would invite you to join us. You won't be sorry. You'll experience healing beyond what you could imagine. He is faithful. I can't explain it, but his healing is powerful. And it begins the moment you say yes to him. Today you will be with me, Jesus says. So if you're ready to make that decision, I'm so grateful to know that I'm a part of a community at UPC where people can come to faith and experience that. If you're ready for that, please come to our website, upc.org Jesus. You do not need to sit under the, under the curse. You can be freed by the condemnation that Jesus assumes himself. See, there's kind of an exchange that goes on there. It's like a, a blood transplant or a, a plasma transplant. Jesus is saying, my life for yours, my righteousness for yours. Come and be healed. And then for the rest of us, you may be a follower of Jesus already. Bring your wounds to him. This is an invitation today to bring your wounds to him. Really, discipleship is a process of healing, not just physically, not just spiritually, but our whole being, mind, body, and soul. And not just personally, but the whole world. Let's bring the wounds of the world to him. We need to come to the words of grace. This is what we do in our community. In fact, we need to help each other with this. So I would encourage you in a socially distant way to join one of our formational communities because it's in our formational communities that we open up the scriptures and we read the word of grace that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We help each other with healing. And then we go out in our neighborhoods because the healing we need is the healing our neighbors need as well. You know, when I think about Jesus as a great physician, I realize this is not about culture wars. This is about culture curing. Jesus doesn't come as a fighter. He comes as a physician. That should change the way we think about how we engage our culture. One of the ways that you can uh, 
bring healing to your neighbors is by getting the vaccine as soon as it's available to you. I wanna encourage you to do that. I know there are concerns about risks. Um, I, as far as I can tell, it's been a very safe process. And even if there are risks, let's do what Christians have historically done at their best, which is to assume risks ourselves for the sake of others. I think the followers of Jesus should be first in line to get those shots. I've already myself uh, enrolled at um, Phase Finder, the, the Washington Department of Health's website, and I would encourage you to do the same. Those who owe their lives to the great physician become healers ourselves. That's what history has shown. Have you ever wondered why there's so many St. Luke's Hospital? Think about it for a second. The, the first hospital was founded, as far as we can tell, by a woman named Fabiola uh, in the fourth century, early fourth century AD. First public hospital that wasn't a military attachment. What happened to her was that she ex experienced healing in Jesus. She uh, had gone through a very difficult divorce with an abusive husband, came out the other side, fell into a community of Christians who cared for her and nurtured her. She met Jesus and, and she took her considerable wealth and invested it in the care of the poor. And she carried epileptics on her shoulders and she touched the pus of those who were dying and gave water. This was what Christians did in the early centuries. In fact, there were two great ep uh, epidemics, much worse than ours, that plagued the Roman Empire. It was a moment where there were 5,000 people dying per day in Rome alone. 30% of the city uh, died at this time. And the Christians, when everybody else was running away from the sick, the Christians ran towards the sick. This is how the church actually grew. And I want to close with uh, one witness to that, historical witness. A man named Dionysus wrote a letter. It's called his uh, Easter letter. And he describes how Christians responded, uh, how they entered into the healing ministry of the great physician. Let me end with these words. It's kind of a call to action to me anyways. He writes, most of our brother and sister Christians show unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took care of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. They knew what story they were in, didn't they? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have a, a mission for this world. You're not done with us. You're not done with this creation. You're in the middle of the chaos. That's what we've celebrated this Easter, that God has entered into this world in flesh and blood to transform it. You're a healer. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're drawn to you. We pray that you will elicit our sickness. Help us to bring it to the surface and lay it at the foot of the cross. Let the blood of Christ wash over our brokenness and transform us. We don't need to impress anybody. We can't impress you, but you call us to come unto you, all who are weak and heavy laden, and you will give us rest for our souls, rest for our body, rest for our weary world. In this we rejoice. We pray that you'll fill us with our, your Holy Spirit and, and give us healing hands to embrace our neighbors, just as you've embraced us. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake, amen.